Okay, hello everybody. Today is Monday, another Zodiac Monday. Welcome to the show. I hope everybody had a good weekend. And just a couple of quick announcements before we begin. The first is that, um, a reminder really, that this show is available for free downloads at Launchpad 1. There's a link to that in the description box. If you would like to download the audio version of this program as a pure podcast, take it on the go anywhere and anyhow, you can use Launchpad 1. If you would like to download the video version with images, then you can use YouTube Premium, but that one you have to pay for. Launchpad 1 is free. There is a link to that in the description box. And um, there is also a link to buymeacoffee.com. And if you would like to make a donation to help support the show, anything is greatly appreciated. And I'll read your shout-outs later on in the episode, and that will happen every Zodiac Monday. So uh, thank you so much to all of the recent supporters, and a lot of things in the description box to go through. Now there are a couple reasons why I do this Zodiac Killer News Report. For about maybe three years, I would talk about the Zodiac Killer on Black Box Online Radio, and maybe even more than three, oh goodness, what is it, probably at least four and a half or something, that I was regularly talking about the Zodiac Killer here on BBOR. And I did it mostly subject by subject, like I'll do an episode about Arthur Lee Allen, or I'll do an episode about Richard Gajkowski and the suspects, and then it turned into some of the other theories, and even some uh, things like the psychological aspects of the case, or I even did the one episode on do they have the Zodiac Killer's DNA. So that was, um, you know, all well and good, but there was a real benefit to doing this as the Zodiac News Report. The first reason is I can talk to you guys about a bunch of different subjects all at once. The second reason is we always have the opportunity for follow-ups. Say, for example, if there's something last week that can be expanded upon into this week's episode, why not go for it? And I would like to begin with discussing the Zodiac suspect, Xenophon Anthony. Last week on the news report, I was talking about Kelly Marshall's uh, YouTube channel, and she is a supporter of the Xenophon Anthony theory. She believes that Xenophon was the Zodiac killer, and she released two new videos talking about some of her evidence. She is most famous for the documentary Zodiac Rushed Editor, where she uh, had attempted to solve the 340 cipher. And I had always been skeptical of Xenophon Anthony as a Zodiac killer suspect, because last week I was saying that he comes under suspicion because there was a famous story that he was seen at one of the Zodiac crime scenes, the final one, actually, the murder of Paul Stein. He was seen at the crime scene by an eight-year-old child who saw this person and identified him by name, said, I saw Mr. Xenophon Anthony leaving the taxi cab where Paul Stein was murdered on October 11th of 1969. And what I did was I pulled up an article from crimeandtime.com that said Xenophon Anthony was not actually seen at the site of the shooting, like at the taxi cab. He was seen walking a few hundred yards away from the scene. And there are some reasons why I had believed that that had been the more accurate version of the story. Number one is that the um, I thought there would have been an, an enormous amount of suspicion, way more suspicion put on this guy, Xenophon Anthony, if he had actually been seen right by the taxi cab where Paul Stein was murdered. And the second is, there was 
a big amount of press, again, around some of the other witnesses, most notably the Robbins kids, who saw the Zodiac leaving the scene of um, the Stein shooting, again, uh, the Zodiac's final crime, and they're the reason why we have those composite sketches of the Zodiac killer, and we didn't really get that from this eight-year-old child. However, Richard Grinnell of ZodiacCiphers.com wanted to dispute that claim that was shared in Crime and Time, and he says that um, they've almost certainly identified the eight-year-old child who lived at 3898 Washington Street, and uh, P Paul Stein was murdered at uh, Washington and Cherry. I'm only going to say his first name, Robert, uh, but um, it is online, and he was overlooking the crime scene. He was eight years old and two months on October 11th of 1969. Now, he denies that he was the eight-year-old. People have found this guy, Robert. He denies being the eight-year-old who spotted Xenophon Anthony as a witness, but Richard Grinnell simply wanted to say that the quote from the Crime and Time article is not true, and, um, I mean, Richard Grinnell also did direct me to um, a report that he had shared on ZodiacCiphers.com, which seems to corroborate that, so it seems like that is the more accurate version. But Richard Grinnell wanted to address, why wasn't this eight-year-old given more of, well, of a soapbox to stand on and share his message about witnessing a crime that was committed by the Zodiac Killer, and not exactly one of the Zodiac's crimes, but seeing him at the taxi cab, wiping it down or moving things around in the taxi, because perhaps to the best of our knowledge, the Zodiac murdered Paul Stein inside of the taxi, and no one knew to be on the lookout for a man with a gun who was going to blindside a taxi driver, but being at the crime scene, why didn't this eight-year-old get a bigger chance to share his story, or why weren't more people familiar with this? And what Richard Grinnell said was, he would have been foolhardy of the police to reveal the identity of the eight-year-old to newspapers if he did. The interesting thing for me is that if this eight-year-old identified Xenophon Anthony in relation to the murder, so if he did spot the Zodiac by the taxi cab, one might conclude that Xenophon Anthony looks somewhat like the sketch, even if the child was mistaken. In other words, the Zodiac looks so much like Xenophon Anthony, somebody the child must have known, he mistook the Zodiac for Xenophon. However, in a later FBI file, Xenophon Anthony was ruled out using fingerprints, presumably the bloody ones. As you stated, Anthony's image doesn't look totally dissimilar to the sketch, and he was 38 years old in 1969. The only reason that he may deny being the child, that's Robert, the name of the um, eight-year-old alleged eyewitness, the only reason why he may deny being the child is because he doesn't want to get dragged into the Zodiac scene. Some people like the Robbins kids and Brian Hartnell are wary of all the hassle they are inevitably going to receive. I mean, some people might just view that as, um, it's something tragic in their in their lives that they dealt with, even like witnessing a murder. And we've encountered this in other um, true crime cases, when someone who has a part to play in it, where they have information, simply says, yes, um, that was me, I was present there, it was a dark time in my life, and those were a lot of bad memories, or I want nothing to do with that, I just want to kind of forget that experience. But um, the examples that I was thinking of are actually things that are a little bit more physical than simply seeing a man wipe down a taxi cab outside of the window. But um, you um, just heard there 
Anthony was ruled out using fingerprints, presumably the bloody ones, and what we're talking about was similarities to the Zodiac composite sketches that I said last week that I thought that Xenophon Anthony had perhaps the closest resemblance to the facial structure of the Zodiac composite sketch, most notably the nose and the hairline. I think that a lot of other suspects heavily resemble the composite, but they don't have that exact nose shape. And uh, Richard says something very interesting in this email, and that is that this guy had, you know, some similar facial features. Did this eight-year-old kid look out the window in the dark and simply think that, you know, he's just getting like a couple glimpses of the guy? Did he mistakenly say that that was Xenophon Anthony? Because without that, I don't know if Kelly Marshall or any other supporters of that theory would have um, a lot to stand on. But who was Xenophon Anthony? I um, would like to go to a post that was written by somebody who is simply known as Laura Kate. I've read this a couple times, but I just really appreciate the way that she organized some of these, this material. And this is available on Tabatalk. It's a forum post. But again, I just think that she um, provided some clarity about the background info on Xenophon. And she said that um, he actually went by the nickname Zine. He spelled it X-E-N, but he pronounced it Zine. And this guy needs some more thorough vetting. He wasn't even on the radar until a few years ago. Well, I mean, which one is it, though? Is he on the radar, or was he eliminated by the FBI? I mean, maybe maybe we can reconcile it by saying that they looked into the guy, he was eliminated, but then there's a resurgence in popularity. Xenophon Anthony's middle name was Lusby, though. His full name is Xenophon Lusby Anthony, and some people pronounce it Xenophon. I'm kind of in the habit of saying Xenophon. And... In 1969, he lived at 3218 Jackson Street. He was 38 years old. Xenophon Anthony was born on January 28th of 1931 in Spokane, Washington, to Dr. Mark and Ruth Anthony. He graduated from Lakeside School in Seattle in 1949, graduated from Harvard in 1953. He was married to Valerie Ann, sorry, yeah, married Valerie Ann Moore in Los Angeles in 1956, and he had children. Mark Anthony II, Peter, who was, um, oh, uh, Peter was born in 1959 in San Francisco, and he lived in San Marino until 1966, moved to San Francisco also in 1966. He had a vacation home in Inverness. He enjoyed landscaping. He worked in retail and wholesale. When it says he worked in retail, I actually think he was somewhat of a, um, um, prosperous businessman, actually, and he did that until 1976, when Valerie M. Anthony founded Stern School, an alternative school. Xenophon became the business manager for the school and maintained the school building. The school started with only 10 students. He retired in 2000, and they moved permanently to Spokane. He died in 2016. Um, well, I mean, that's a, that would be a very, very big um, change in life. Somebody is going to be the Zodiac Killer, and then they're going to go open up a school with 10 students and do some type of alternative education. But, you know, a lot of serial killers do things like that. And I'm not saying Xenophon Anthony was the Zodiac, but serial killers do things like that. And um, BTK, for example, Dennis Rader was heavily involved with um, his church, the Scouts, and he's trying to um, be somewhat of a leader. 
I mean, you encounter this stuff all the time. People are very good at putting on facades. That's what serial killers do. They are caught up in this type of acting gig. But Laura Kate does have some things to say about the eyewitness. There was an eight-year-old witness to the Paul Stein murder, and he lived at 3898 Washington Street. He ID'd Xenophon Anthony by name at the scene. He is the great-great-grandnephew of Leland Stanford, the founder of Stanford. And um, I'll just say his name is Robert. And on the night of the Stein murder, the police questioned a white man who was walking on Jackson but let him go when he said he lived nearby. Mm, well, you know, like, the reason why I have such a problem with this statement and these suspects who are living near the Stein murder is I think it's just in a way of somebody trying to force their theory. They're trying to provide some type of explanation where they're jumping to conclusions that Oh, the Zodiac evaded capture because he walked home. He went straight home after he murdered Paul Stein. And I don't believe that we have the exact the exact um, amount of info and resources to do that. But one more time, this is a post that was written by Laura Kate, and you can get this on Tapa Talk. The full name is Xenophon Anthony. How come he was ruled out? I will share one thing with you is that some people say in the comments section that simply they don't think that he should be eliminated on fingerprints alone. How do we know that those were the Zodiac's fingerprints, even if they are imprinted in the blood? Could somebody else have touched the cab? I don't know. I think that is also making assumptions. But what do you think about Xenophon Anthony as a Zodiac killer suspect? And you can weigh in in the comments section. Share anything that you like. If you think that he is a good suspect, please provide your reasons why. And if you think that he is a inferior suspect, please also provide your reasons, and maybe your comments will be featured in a future episode of Black Box Online Radio. To go into a different direction in the next segment here on this channel, I would like to talk about a couple suspects at once, and firstly, they are Richard Gajkowski, who is one of the more famous Zodiac suspects, and Ted Kaczynski, who was the Unabomber. And Richard Gajkowski perhaps became most famous because he was brought forward as a suspect by an informant known as Goldcatcher, whom we now know as Blaine Blaine. But one thing that I did not know was that not only did Blaine say that Gajkowski was the Zodiac and he has a lot of first-hand experience with him, Blaine Blaine was actually a suspect in the Unabomber case, and um, he has been sharing some of um, some recollections and telling the story online, and I would just like to read those things for you guys. I did not know this. Was this just common knowledge? I mean, um, if it is, excuse me, but I was completely unaware. In 1995, I was 58 years old. Everyone thought I was lying and that I had to be 49 or 50, including the sheriff and the FBI. So they arrested me as the Unabomber and tore my van apart. They called in the bomb squad, and they slapped me on my face, saying, Shut the F up, Unabomber. In 1995, I was almost 59, and Kaczynski was about 52. Now he is 80, and I am 85. The circumstance around my Unabomber arrest in itself is a chapter in the upcoming book Goldcatcher and the Zodiac. From this bitter event, the FBI made it very clear the coincidences of what was known about the Unabomber and Zodiac were ultimately transparent, and I had come to the conclusion that the Unabomber and Richard Gajkowski, the true Zodiac killer, 
were totally different people. Keeping in mind that there was a wealth of facts from Gaikowski, who was an expert on the Unabomber, how he, Geik, cunningly convinced me for a short time that he, Gaikowski, was the Unabomber himself, and set up my arrest in 1995. By 1996, when Ted Kaczynski was arrested, the hardcore evidence demonstrated that Kaczynski had nothing to do with the Zodiac. And by then, the FBI knew about Gaikowski and how he used his knowledge to blind me, convincing me into thinking that the Unabomber was Gaikowski himself. The author, promoting... Actually, I'd like to uh, skip over that part and get back to this one here. And um, it says that... There's just a little bit of trash talk against some other uh, Zodiac researchers. But there is a conclusion that Kaczynski might have been the Zodiac, but his brother and mom, who turned him in, knew there was absolutely nothing to connect him to the Zodiac killer case. And those were the words of Blaine Blaine, the informant known as Goldcatcher. And you've been seeing the um, arrest article, or the article about his arrest there, and um, when he talks about being in the van, Goldcatcher lived in a van for a while, and he has posted some of those photos online. I personally felt that that was like looking at a museum. I was like, that's the van that Goldcatcher used to live in? I've heard stories about this for years. Now I can finally see it with my own eyes. This is unbelievable. But, um, no, I firstly, I absolutely believe that they got the right person in the Unabomber case, Ted Kaczynski, and he has... Um, was sentenced to, what was it, eight life sentences. As far as any type of um, connection to the Zodiac case, you heard Blaine's two sons, and you can weigh in in the comment section down below about what you think about Ted Kaczynski as a Zodiac killer suspect, and it appears that um, Goldcatcher was somewhat of a believer in the Zodiac Unabomber connection for a while before the apprehension of Ted Kaczynski. Did you hear that? He thought that Geik was the Unabomber, now he thinks he's the Zodiac. If you have any responses, I'm curious what you guys think. And at this time, I would like to remind you guys that I am also a regular contributor to the Zodiac Killer channel. And I have been working on something with uh, those guys. And it is called a podcast. It is a podcast called Serial Killer Z to A. And the first season is devoted, of course, to the Zodiac Killer and a lot of the unconfirmed crimes. But if you haven't heard all the content over on the Zodiac Killer channel yet, there is something called the Interviews with the Experts series, and I'm also the host of that program. And one of the guests that I had the opportunity of interviewing was Mike Rodelli, who has launched MikeRodelli.com, and he has been very active on social media. And lately, Rodelli has been talking about how he really wants people to still be aware of the fact that the authorities do not have the Zodiac Killer's DNA. Mike Rodelli is the author of In the Shadow of Mount Diablo, as well as The Hunt for Zodiac. That's the print version and the ebook version. And he is a supporter of the theory involving Shel Cavale. And Mike Rodelli's theory with Shel Cavale is quite different because Cavale was in he was a very affluent businessman, perhaps even way more successful than Xenophon Anthony. But I would like to read a post that was written by Mike Rodelli that says, On the Zodiac message boards, people seem to get indignant and mock me when I say that the police may be duping them into believing that the current hunt for DNA is a legitimate one. They think that the police are above doing something like that, but what they don't realize is that they were already duped in 2002. They just don't realize it. 
Even when a whistleblower comes forward in 2018 that t tells them they were duped. And I reviewed both the ABC show and the statement of the 2018 whistleblower, who was, by the way, a retired SFPD homicide inspector whose identity is still unknown to this day. He or she confirmed that the 2002 DNA came from the outside of what is known to be a potentially highly contaminated envelope and that, more importantly, no DNA was found where it should have been, which is under one of the stamps or the seal of the envelope flaps. In fact, that no DNA could be found under a stamp or a seal led Dr. Holt in desperation to sample the outside of the stamp to get something to give to ABC. The real deception in that show was giving an uninformed public the impression that the DNA was being used to eliminate suspects. I believe that the goal of the show, in retrospect, was directed at the killer, who they assumed was watching that night and whom they wanted to believe that they now had his DNA and that he would soon be identified. I think that they were hoping that he would make a false move on that knowledge. However, the collateral damage of that night was was my credibility when my suspect was quote-unquote ruled out against the DNA and they did not come, and it did not come from the killer. Also, another bit of collateral damage was... The public was duped into believing that the, the Zodiac's DNA was in the possession of the police. And if the police were willing to deceive the public in 2002, there's nothing to stop them from deceiving them again in 2022. With this whole notion of re-examining and re-examining stamps and envelopes that the killer did not lick and getting DNA using more and more sensitive and modern techniques and in light of the case, but it's not. It's just a dog and pony show to keep the public stupefied into believing that only DNA can solve the case, when in fact there are other methods that can be used to do so. I'm still hoping that there is someone active in SFPD or VPD who is as disillusioned about the DNA in terms of manipulation in the Zodiac case as I am. If it ain't science, it's politics, and this reeks of politics. And Microdeli informs us that his website is www.microdeli.com, and there's a lot of info there about his um, suspect as well as his books and all of that. Now, I did a more extensive episode on uh, Microdeli's suspect and Shell Cavale, which Mike um, helped co-author. I also did one on the Zodiac's DNA, if you'd like to hear some more um, detailed uh, descriptions of what happened. But Mike Rodelli was talking about an episode that was aired on ABC in 2002, and allegedly three suspects were eliminated. One of them is the very famous Arthur Lee Allen. The second is Shell Cavale, as I said, the, um, the affluent businessman, born in Norway in 1919, number one importer of Volkswagens on the uh, West Coast, but I don't want to say anymore because I don't want to misstate something. And I asked Mike Rodelli, who was the third suspect that was in question? And he said Charles Clifton Curtis, also ruled out because of DNA. But I think that Mike Rodelli's stance on the subject is very clear. They don't have the Zodiac's DNA. And did you catch that part in that very, um, you know, well-composed post? That somebody was unable to find DNA under the stamp or under the flaps of the envelope. So he, or um, see, the, the person who was preparing for the ABC show didn't want to go to ABC empty-handed, so they extracted DNA from around the stamp, touched DNA from around the stamp, 
which as Rodelli said, could have been contaminated. It could have been touched by somebody else. How do you actually know that that's from the killer? Uh, this, that, and the other. I think you can get the idea that that could be someone else's DNA other than the killer. And you might be wondering, well, how did, um, how did the Zodiac mail these letters without leaving any DNA? Rodelli has speculated because his, uh, suspect was, um, a rather uh, prominent businessman that he did something that was thought to have been high class at the time, and he would seal the envelopes by dipping a sponge into water and pressing the sponge along the envelope and then closing them. He could not have foreseen the um, advancements in forensic science, but he didn't lick them. This wasn't about hiding his DNA. Nobody would have known about DNA in 1969 or been as worried as they are now. They'd be more worried about things like fingerprints. So he sealed the stamps with water. Long story short, but I have a more extensive episode on that. And at this time, I would like to give some shout-outs to all the people who supported uh, Black Box Online Radio at buymeacoffee.com. And as I said, if you make a contribution to the show, it will go into future efforts for this channel, such as um, things with equipment, or even just buying more true crime books so I have things to talk to you guys about. And the first one comes to us from Andreas G., who says, My favorite YouTube podcast. Keep up the good work, Ned. Excellent material. I usually listen at night before going to bed. Thank you. Hey, Andreas, thank you so much. But um, for a while on this channel... I was um, thinking about expanding into something called the Podcast for Sleep, which I ended up doing on Astrocyte 400. There is still a single episode of the Podcast for Sleep here on BBO War, because some people were saying that they use this program to fall asleep at night, and I do too, actually. Back in um, 2018, I think it was, I started using audio to go to sleep, and I do it every single night if I am able to do so. And um, I use Black Box Online Radio. So I thought, why not create the podcast for sleep? Something that will actually help people fall asleep. And I did one episode that is available here on BBOR, which I would invite you to listen to. And you can always check out Astro Psych 400. Yes, it's great to support the show with something like buymeacoffee.com or Killer on a White Horse or the Teespring page with the t-shirts and coffee mugs. But the absolute best way that you can help this channel is just by listening to some more episodes and go through the older pieces of Black Box Online Radio. And um, I really uh, do appreciate all the people who listen to some of the older far-out episodes, whether it's the Black Box recordings or uh, some of the shorter podcasts, like the 20-minute episodes. You guys are all awesome. The Bible Group has our next um, shout-out. And the Bible Group says, Hi, Ned. Enjoy your day. May our Heavenly Father watch over you always. Bible Group, thank you so much for your support. Stefan Nyberg says, Ned, may you live long and prosper. Awesome. And we do have um, one from Floyd Black 53 with no message, but your support is greatly appreciated. And Tyler Grover says, happy birthday, Ned. Yes, my birthday was last week when that one came out. And all of you guys who uh, listened to that episode um, where I was talking about that stuff, keep it real. You guys are awesome. And I have one more shout out to give. And that is to James Cheney, who made two new images for the show. One of them is the Black Box Online Radio Graphic, and another one says, Monday is Zodiac Monday, Wednesday is the AMA, the Ask Me Anything, and Friday is on Anything Goes, where any subject is fair game. Now, this year on the channel, I haven't been doing the AMAs like I did last year, 
but I want to use this graphic anyway because there are dozens of Ask Me Anything episodes where I would respond to your questions and comments and would go through the episode together having a discussion. So I would invite you to check out some of those. I mean, you want to listen to some content? The AMAs have lots of Zodiac material, and uh, James, thank you for these here. But as far as the Anything Goes segment on Friday, I've been doing a discussion about Stephen Avery and making a murderer. And believe it or not, there is a Zodiac killer, Stephen Avery connection. And that comes to us from the wonderful John Cameron, the man who promotes Edward Edwards as the Zodiac Killer. The Zodiac Killer operated in 1968 and 69, who started out by targeting couples in lovers' lanes who were in cars. And John Cameron's theory, more or less, is that Edward Edwards did some very similar crimes like that. He would target lovers' lanes, couples in cars, but what John Cameron does is he actually accuses Edward Wayne Edwards of committing 660 murders. And even though I am not someone to know absolutely every detail of the inside and outs of his Zodiac Killer Stephen Avery theory, I believe he's referring to the 2005 murder of Teresa Holbach, which sent Stephen Avery back to prison. Stephen Avery was convicted of a crime in the 1980s. The the rape and attempted murder of a woman named Penny Bernston, and then DNA revealed that it was not him. It was actually another criminal named Gregory Allen, but then, only two years after he was exonerated and released, he then was sent back to jail for the murder of, of Teresa Hallback. and did he actually do it, or was he framed? Why would he be framed? Well, it's because after he got out of prison, he filed a lawsuit for $36 million dollars, for wrongful imprisonment, and John Cameron's theory is that the Zodiac Killer, Edward Wayne Edwards, orchestrated the whole thing to get Stephen Avery thrown back in jail. Why would he do that? I think you can ha take a few guesses if you haven't heard John Cameron in an interview, because one of the journalists who covered the Zodiac Killer case was named Paul Avery, and um, I think it was on the Opperman Report in that interview, John Cameron says very clearly, that's how Ed Edwards operated, and that's how he was able to um, get away with this. He would commit murders, and then he would blame other people for it, and he would leave these little signatures that would show how and why the crimes were committed, such as Paul Avery, Stephen Avery, and that is, um, I just have to leave it there, and I mean, you can respond if you want, but I think that that type of thinking speaks for itself, and that, as I said, he accuses Ed Edwards of 660 murders, and at that point, I'm just tempted to say that John Cameron seems like someone who is just playing a game. He is just trying to show off. It's like, does he really believe that all of these things are true? He's also accused the Zodiac Killer of murdering JonBenet Ramsey. He's accused the Zodiac Killer of murdering Darlie Rudier's kids, and... You're probably going to have to do a lot better than that than just saying that Stephen Avery and Paul Avery had the same last name. I mean, maybe if it was Avery Lee with an L-Y or something like that, then you'd have a bigger case to stand on. But no, no, even that, even that, though, like, that's, I mean, that, I was being um, uh, facetious there for a second. But you, you really have to have a little bit more hard evidence than to say that, oh, yeah, this is my suspect because, um, his name is John Smith, and then someone else named Smith 
passed away, therefore, um, there must be some type of connection, because Smith and Smith, or how about Jones and Jones, and Johnson and Johnson, or how about Avery and Avery? So, if anyone ever asks you in the future, what is what do you think about Edward Wayne Edwards as a Zodiac killer suspect? You can uh, respond the way you would. I know what I would say. There's just a whole lot of messing around.